Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Casey. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. I am Johnny Horsley, and today on the show, we have got one of the guys behind the Marvel Knights imprint that came out back uh, in the early 2000s, and the guy is an incredible writer, and he's coming on to talk about his Kickstarter that happened already, a book you can go pick up called Fairy Quest, and I'm talking about the one, the only, Paul Jenkins. Not the artist Paul Jenkins, but the writer Paul Jenkins, because there was two of them that confused me when I first searched for them to try and figure out what I, who I was talking to, because it could be either one on this show. But this is the writer, which is awesome, because I was a big fan of Marvel Knights, and Jenkins wrote some really cool stuff. He also worked for Mirage Studios, which they, they talk about all this stuff. So Casey talks with him about Fairy Quest and his career and a bunch of fun stuff. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it and hear Paul Jenkins in his own words. Welcome again to another episode of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have a treat for you. We have a writer of Hellblazer, Wolverine Origin, The Inhuman, Spectacular Spider-Man, and The Sentry, of which he created. So you guys give a warm welcome to Paul Jenkins. Casey, how you doing? I'm well, man. So, Paul Jenkins, you, you're an interesting dude, man, because you, you don't just, you're, you're not just a writer. You, you didn't necessarily come into comics via writing you you started out working under mirage correct yeah that's right i was uh the third employee over at mirage studios with the ninja turtles um, <laughs> yeah they had a they had a office manager and a guy doing licensing that really kind of wasn't doing licensing he tended to have some issues with <laughs> substances and so they didn't you know it was crazy time and so i came in and worked i was very young and before long i was i was working you know in kind of the licensing side and just doing everything you know what what brought you to the states to begin with I, you know i started to, i started to be an actor and i had kind of moved away from my family at a very young age and i went away to school and i found myself in an environment where I was really being kind of geared to become a lawyer or a doctor, but that's, that's just not me. Right. And so I, I wanted to be creative for a living and I came over to the States. I was teaching music and drama to learning disabled children. That's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. Right? And so that was how I got here. And then I ended up uh, staying. I very quickly actually met the guys that created the Ninja Turtles, which is kind of interesting. So I had that as part of my life, and and the rest is history. You know, that, that's that's wild. So I, I was talking to a a comic creator the other day, and we were both kind of 
amazed at how many people in comics started in some form or fashion via theater. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you, you'd be you'd be totally surprised. It's it's wild how many people have a theater background. So yeah, yeah. So what what was the springboard from theater to to comics? You know, I studied, obviously, I was around theatre, but I think I was gearing more towards filmmaking at an early age. You know, I, I was I was probably spending more time learning camera techniques. And I also think as an actor, I was spending more of my time as a writer and director. Uh, so that's kind of just my approach to it. I wasn't really aiming towards being an actor, I would think. And that's a good thing, you know, because it's challenging. And what it does is it allows me when I work in film and television, I really like actors. So when I'm directing or doing anything like that, I have a lot to be able to, I have a lot in common and I can connect pretty well to actors, I think. So I don't know. I wouldn't know the answer to your question, but I do know, you know, my path was much more, you know, I don't know why theater people get involved, but I will say that, you know, for me, I loved, I love creativity. I also studied music and I studied English and, and, and all of those things. And they just all seem to come together for me. So you, I'm guessing you grew up with, with British comics and it's, it's almost a different world in, in terms of subject content and just, I guess how they're done. Yeah. I, I will say point of order. I, I didn't really grow up with anything. Really? No, I, I came from a very, very poor background. So we didn't have, I saw British comics, the ones that I was into, the ones that I could see, sometimes we would get some of the early digest comics. They were like uh, really tiny, small war comics, you know. We, w- we would get the Beano and the Dandy, which were like these daily strip kind of comics, came out once a week. But very, very, very occasionally, we, we kind of saw them from friends' houses and stuff like that. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. So having grown up on, you know, on the lower economics, you know, scale myself it was it was one of those things where i mostly read them off of the spinner rack while my mom was Mm. was doing the the groceries and you know we we go to check out and you know put it back on the rack (laughs) (laughs) but i mean i mean you you gotta you gotta get where you can right that's right yeah you know either that or you steal it yeah 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 so i I was i was i was a boy scout so (laughs) that's awesome that's awesome but so you, you come over here, I'm, I'm guessing in your early 20s, you end up working for Mirage and that must have been, you know, pretty wild. Did did they kind of take you under your under their wing and kind of show you how, how things work in comics? No, no, it was too crazy. <laughs> it was it was it was we hit the ground running and there was I was there by default, you know? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I had. I'd been playing in a band and some of the guys up there did an album cover for my band. Right. And I played a lot of football and I, I broke my leg as usual. I like, used to get injured every five minutes and I like American shattered. footballer. No, or, like for, uh, okay. soccer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had shattered my ankle and I'm walking around on crutches. I'm and I've been waiting on tables. You know, when you're a musician, you're really not, you're just waiting, keeping yeah. waiting on tables. <laughs> and so these guys used to come into the place where I worked. And actually one of the people that I saw the most was April, who was Kevin's first wife. And after whom April is created, you know, 
And April used to come in and I used to kind of chat with her every so often. So I knew the people, they were right upstairs from where I used to work in this restaurant. And one day I broke my leg and and I'm I'm on crutches and I'm like, I can't wait on tables. Don't know how to do that. So I kind of painfully made my way upstairs and I said to them, hey, is there any chance I could work with you guys? Because I can't do any of this. And they're like, you know, funnily enough, this place is going nuts right now. They had just sold the rights to to be a toy and a TV show. Oh, shit. And so I come in, I'm 22 years old. And the next thing you know, <laughs> this thing explodes. And within three or four months, I'm just in the middle of it. And we field it the best we can. I didn't get any training. Uh, I, had, I, had, I had enough training as a person, as a human being. So I, I had uh, really not lived... At my home since I was eleven, I I I had left, kind of on my own. It's a, it's a long story. It's a crazy story about how I grew up. But I had left and not gone back, and so I came to America by myself. I have the best immigrant story. I came with fifty dollars and never went back. Oh wow! Um, yeah. So it's it's kind of a crazy story in and of itself that leads me all the way up to Mirage Studios. Let alone what happened next. Within you know, a year. I'm on the set with Vanilla Ice on the set of the second Ninja Turtle movie watching this jack- jackass <laughs> forget his lines. You know? <laughs> Dude, it's Go Ninja Go. Yeah. Uh, how many times do we have to tell you? I was I was there, and he just did not. He was <laughs> such a jackass. But he was a prick? Yeah, he was a jackass. Yeah, he was an absolute prick. He, he just alienated everybody on set. He drove his cart his golf cart, he drove around on this golf cart with a couple of bouncers and he was playing with this toy remote control car, like a typical pop star, you know, like but yeah. no one cared because everyone's in, in production doesn't work like that. Anyone making a film is like, we're not impressed with you, mate, like go away. And he apparently crashed the car into the creature workshop, which was just like, oh, come on. Man. Oh, no. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So every time I see pictures of Kevin Eastman back in the day, he looks like he's trying to audition for Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds or something. <laughs> so he he had like a, a like a total rock star vibe going for him which is is almost in opposition to Peter Laird's perhaps taught Sunday school look that that he has and they're both amazing dudes. Mm-hmm. What were they fun to work for? Yeah, you know, Kevin remains one of my best friends to this day, right? He's a great person. He is a good-hearted, kind, generous, overly generous person. Pete is more reserved. He looks and, like it. Yeah, a lot more careful. They, You know, when you make a business like that, you have to be uh, a little bit chalk and cheese. You know, Kevin's much more the go-getter. He wants things to happen. Pete was much more reserved. Now, they were very extreme. Like, Kevin would just see, you know, a cliff and jump off it and see what happens, right? Really? And Pete... Pete, you know, well, you know, he's he he would make a lot of stuff happen. And Pete is so shy and retiring, he'd rather kind of lock himself in a closet and never come out, right? So they were really extremely <laughs> difficult people. And uh, But, you know, Pete was a good guy. I mean, I, I used to go riding motorcycles with him quite a lot. And we used to go uh, dirt biking up in the mountains. I got on fine with Pete, got on great with Kevin. And then I moved with Kevin over to Tundra Publishing. So, you know, and I've, I've, I've been friends with Kevin for now 32 years. That That's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, what what was the impetus for you to move to Atlanta, of all places? <laughs> You're not going to like this. I broke my neck. Yeah. Another another football injury. So yeah, I had I had come back to Massachusetts. I had I had been the editor in chief of a company in Cincinnati, Ohio, and it had not worked out. It, it was called Majestic, 
And they were real crooks, you know. Uh, crazy thing, because they were run by a company that was owned by Pentecostals, and they were the most crooked people I've ever met. I mean... Uh, it's, uh... It's, funny when you, it's funny when you run into the mob, and you go, wow, that's what criminals are like, and these guys were it, right? So it's a very strange time, and they had, they had the NFL trading card license for, like, Chromium limited edition cards, and they were just basically printing sort of 20,000 when they were supposed to be doing 1,500, and then just selling them out the back door. And one day wow. we got there, and they, they hadn't paid all their bills. They had this new comic company they wanted to do, but they hadn't paid the, the artists, and I put my foot down, and you sort of showed up for work, and they had, over the weekend, they had taken all the heavy equipment and just driven it away to Utah. It was crazy, or Montana, or wherever it was that they went, and... And so it was a totally crazy time, and I drove back to Massachusetts. And at that time, I thought, well, I'm going to try to see if I can become a freelance creator, like if I can write. I think I can. And I had been Alan Moore's editor, and I'd been Neil Gaiman's editor, and just all these incredible people. So I went and I got myself a job on Hellblazer, and then I ended up having some success. And and <clears throat> I did Marvel Knights, and and the Inhumans won an Eisner Award, you know. And so things were going pretty well. And then I had a very difficult and awful experience i was playing football and i got hit in the back of the neck and my ankle got broken and i was very unwell i was really unwell i I couldn't lift my head for a few months if i lifted my head i passed out and so i went through the first winter that year and it was just terrible um i couldn't manage it and so i said well you know as as the next year came after the summer i said "I'm, i'm gonna leave and so i kind of I got my Blues Brothers cop car and my computer and my dog and just headed <laughs> south. And I ended up in Atlanta, which was fine. Nice. What Was it a bit of a culture shock for you? No, I don't care. I, you know, wherever I lay my hat is my home, right? If it was a culture shock for me, then it was no more of a culture shock than when I came to America, which, you know, That's has elements of, being a, <laughs> elements of being a culture shock. But I'm a pretty friendly person, so I could just kind of go into a, a – I could go anywhere and just say hello to everyone and just be happily, you know, part of the scene, I think. I don't really care where it is. And so that's what I did. And Atlanta is, so I I live about three hours away from Atlanta Mm -hmm. and such a a good art scene and a a lot of cool stuff going on. So it's, it's not surprising at all that you, you know, somebody of of your caliber would, would end up there and immediately start doing cool shit. (laughs) So yeah, I enjoyed it. Right, I loved, I loved being part of it, and it was, it was great. It was wonderful, and uh, you know, I, I, I did enjoy it, and and uh, you know, I felt as though Atlanta was was my, well, I wouldn't say safe haven. It just it spoke to me. It was a good, good place. I like they, they did the Dragon Con down there. I'm like, that's the thing. I love the Dragon Con. That's awesome. You know, so oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't really mind about it. I quite enjoyed it. You know. Yeah, you're gonna miss it this year. You think? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we missed it this last year. I don't think it just depends. It depends on obviously what happens with COVID and that 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 timing, you know, I mean, timing for next year's Dragon Con, it really depends on whether or not they can do the thing that they say they think they can do, which is to create a vaccine. But that's that's a whole other conversation. Oh yeah. 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 I, I've never been to Dragon Con. I really want to go. I'd love to take my daughters. I have two. You, um, you would love it. It is the best time. It is. It is. Everyone's in costume. Everyone's just hanging out and enjoying themselves. I think you'd love it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I have a ten-year-old and a five-year-old, and I think they dig it. So, well, one year, one year, and if I see you there, I'll buy you a beer because <laughs> sounds good. I really want to check it out. But yeah, so you you were talking. You you worked as an editor for a while. Oh, 
how was your experience editing people like Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman? Because that that sounds kind of terrifying to me. Just I don't know. They're 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 such creative powerhouses. It 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 I would be a ball of nerves. Well, <clears throat> let me let me put it a certain way, right? Everyone that knows me, everyone knows that I do not lack for confidence. I believe there's nothing I cannot do. Right? Like if someone tells me I can't do something, I know it means they can't do it. And <laughs> I I have t- disproven, you know, the things that you cannot do repeatedly for my entire life. So there's no, you know, I can, I can do anything. Right. And so I have heard a million times why I was, why I was supposed to be afraid of something. You know, I took over Hellblazer from Garth Ennis, who had had a very successful run. And I ended up writing more issues of Hellblazer than anybody's ever written it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you had a, a super long run. I came into Marvel when they were in bankruptcy and they handed me the inhumans and that was a nothing. And we did really well with it. I took over Spider-Man and they told me it was finished and that it couldn't be written anymore. And there were no new stories. And we disproved that in the first month. And so I feel like, you know, when I asked, how did I approach editing Alan? It was, it was how I approach anything else. It was like, Hey, Alan, how's it going? (laughs) All right, cool. What have we got? Okay. Working on this. Now I don't need to edit Alan particularly for content because Alan knows what he's doing. And he writes these massive, massive scripts, right? Just, giant sized scripts they're so big and and uh, you know but on occasion you know i might read something and ask alan a question you know from hell or or big numbers or something i might say hey you know hey alan does that in a sense you'd be a soundboard for somebody who's so accomplished like alan moore i'm not gonna change anything but that being said, there are probably two or three times when he'd say, yeah, that's a good point, Paul. He's <laughs> really nice. Every time I call him up, he'd go, hello? He picks it, he answers the same way, hello? And i go, hello, Alan, it's Paul Jenkins. He'd go, hello, Paul, all right? And then we'd have a conversation. He's always the same. Funny, I talked to him like years afterwards and I called him up and went, hello, Alan, it's Paul Jenkins. He went, hello, Paul, all right? And it had been like 12 years. And <laughs> changed, right? Really good bloke and... There were funny times, you know, I mean, I was Dave McKean's editor and he was doing cages and, and it was great. And one day I, I said, uh, Dave, you know, on this page, I've got the artwork and it's supposed to, in the, in your own script. It says that the cat's supposed to be walking over here. You got this cat parading through the, through the scenes. And he said, Oh dear. Oh yeah, it does. Doesn't it? Oh, blimey. I complete. And you know, and he had sent them all over from great Britain and he goes, tell you what, Paul, just draw the cat in. I'm like, I'm not an artist. <laughs> And he goes, no, 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 you can do it. Just draw the cat in. So there is one cat in cages drawn by Paul Jenkins. That is amazing. <laughs> Find the cat. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, Dave, you don't want me drawing the cat. And he's like, you can do it. Go for it. Just copy it, paste it, do whatever you want to do. Put the cat in. And I'm like, you know what? Why not? And I think maybe that's actually been my life, right? What? Why not, right? Like, great. I could do that. Why don't I do that? That seems really funny. Like, why don't I just draw the bloody cat? (laughs) It seems amusing to me. Like, why don't I just go and draw the cat? So I did. And it it cracks me up that to this day that I I drew a cat inside his book. Yeah. That's amazing. And I mean, you, you spent 
time at at the big two and really got to play in the sandbox at at both companies. Was there anything that that really you you had a good time with that you would like to return to eventually, or you think you've you've had your fun there? So when I was at the big two, it was a different experience with both but both times or three three sort of sets of experiences. Hellblazers where I cut my teeth, but it was very much a title that spoke to me, wasn't it? They let me do whatever I wanted to do, and I wrote a lot of single issue stories. Right, I almost always wrote single issue stories because that's my favorite thing to write. And I come to Marvel, and even when you look at the Inhumans, yes, it's a 12-issue maxi-series, but the first four issues are all thematically just single-issue stories, and, you know, that's what I loved. I really enjoyed doing it, and I felt that I was halfway decent at at single-issue stories, right? So, you know, I... I went through that for a number of years and we had a lot of success. You know, it wasn't really just the Inhumans, but it was, you know, I did write more in-depth series like the Wolverine Origin stuff. And after a while, at a certain point in Spider-Man, I did that for so long. I did like five or six years of Spider-Man. And they 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 said, you can't do single-issue stories anymore. You know, we want five-issue for trades. And I got it, you know, but I think it's a shame because single-issue means that someone can walk into a shop, pick it up, read it for the first time and put exactly. it down. Right. And I was such a big, so at a certain point, it just wasn't for me, was it? You know, I'm not that person. And, and I noticed that things had just absolutely changed completely at a certain point, everything that we had previously done that had rebuilt Marvel and created success, for example, letting me write single issue stories, letting me do this, let me do that. No editing. I, I, I wrote 11 issues of Civil War front lines. And I think this is really interesting, you know, that I had written issue 11 before Mark Miller wrote issue two of his. So I'd, I'd pretty much completed my story and it was kind of set up. There was the story of Civil War front lines just on the, on the street kind of version. And it did really well, and it sold really well. And the next one they had set up was, can you do you know, World War Hulk front lines? Because the World War Hulk event was coming. And I said, yeah, great. And then they told me the premise, the Hulk is coming down to Earth. And, it, and you know, at that time in history, you know, we were relatively soon after Katrina. So it yeah. seemed like such a metaphor for Katrina. When I said that to them, they said, no, 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 no. You can't have the Hulk seem as if he might hurt somebody or any of his actions seemed, and I'm like, you've never, you've never interfered like that. Yeah. How come you guys are suddenly turning around and interfering with what we're doing? That makes no sense whatsoever. You're telling us now all the things that we can't do. That seems crazy, you know? And, and they did, they basically said, no, we're, we're not doing that anymore. And they started, to, you know, uh, all of a sudden everything changed at Marvel you couldn't get an assistant editor on the phone. You had to, and I'm like, damn, you know what? When they were in Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, they just gave, they just said, Paul, just do whatever you like, do whatever you can, you know, you need help. And then all of a sudden, they just turned around and started saying, and that was, you know, and that pivotal moment was about one to one and a half years before they sold to Disney. In other words, they knew they were selling to Disney, and they were like, we got to change. And they always, always said. We didn't change. We didn't change. Like you changed everything internally. Every single thing that there was, you changed. Yeah. 
And I thought that was such a shame, you know. That that's a that's a bummer. And I mean, you you brought up how they were reticent to allow the Hulk to do anything crazy, and now that's, I mean, that's their number one, one of their number one top titles, <laughs> and he's yeah. he's doing it. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know. I don't. I haven't seen a comment from them. You know, yes, I don't. I don't, I mean, I just I'm not. I, I did my piece. You're welcome, Marvel, and then I'm out. You know, like it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. obviously that it's not me at that point. And 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 a lot of the things that they would have wanted me to do were things that are, you know, I'm just not that person, right? I hear you. Right. So when you when you see that they've used you know some of your ideas for the films, or they're carrying on those ideas in other series, is it? Do you pay attention to that at all? Does that does that give you a little bit of like, oh yeah, this shit's good, of course. <laughs> no, I think it makes me relatively resentful because they use my stuff and they didn't have the right to, you know. Uh, oh, gotcha. Yeah. No, I don't I don't care for it at all. I haven't seen a Marvel movie in years. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, you know, you would imagine that somewhere in the origin of Wolverine it'd have my name on it, wouldn't it? Like thanks. At least <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Yeah, that sucks. I was I was talking to gosh, not Ostrander. It was some Steve crap. Anyway, I was talking to a creator the other day that basically wrote the '89 Batman film, mm-hmm. and basically the Steve Englehart, and yeah. basically they they had signed him to an illegal contract, and he didn't know it. So they took his basic plot outline for the script used it changed the names around and he didn't get you know yep, no, and, that's, and, that, that, and so in my case you know they they sold a lot of uh, copyrights they, they you know they, they i mean they don't have any signed contract with me for all the time i worked at marvel pretty much at the beginning so you know they didn't own those characters but it sold them anyway so it's just miserable you know just i don't know it's not worth hey. it yeah, I got other things I can do, man. I just keep creating elsewhere. Speaking of other things that you can do, I mean, you, you've done the Fairy Quest books. Yeah, with Rucker, excuse me, Humberto Ramos, mm-hmm. and I, I, I've always been a fan of his artwork. Mm-hmm. You guys are are pumping on all cylinders on this book, and it's fantastic. What what made you decide to get into that that type of of genre? So I don't mind any genre, right? I, in fact, I love all different genres. You know, I love it, and uh, you know, I I think you can tell if you want to tell a great historical story, do that. If you want romantic fiction, do that. And as long as it's great and you feel it and you love it and you understand it, that's what you should do. You know, and and so that's kind of the way that I I did things. I just I just adored any kind of ca- any okay so for example he, maybe this makes it clearer i think my problem in especially in comics is i i don't really care if you gave me spider-man or or wombat man right i'm like great cool what's that character let's go write it right so i didn't really have the same ambition that a lot of other people do and an example would be spider-man you know i i did have a very successful run but i didn't actually want to do it at first i, I actually <laughs> they they told me you know they asked me if i'd be interested and i i said no because I, I didn't understand Spider-Man. Really? I really didn't. Yeah. I didn't get it. It made little sense to me. And I, I, 
it was so convoluted and they had had the clone saga and i so ralph macchio had asked me about it and i said no i just i don't get it ralph and then a couple of years went by and then i finally worked out what i might be able to say about spider-man and that that actual story was all about how convoluted spider-man was and how he was so trapped inside so i wrote this thing called web spinners and i wrote the story that i realized made sense in the pages of web spinners and it was all about him freeing himself from all this continuity and at that point, I knew how to write Spider-Man, and then Bucky and I did really great, and then I did it with Umberto. That's how do you how do you chip away at all the bullshit and get to the get to the story? Because when you have a character like that, there are years, decades of you know character development, plot, bullcrap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I just honestly just ignored it. You just ignore the crap you don't want, and and. Take take what you want and leave the rest. Yeah, I didn't even do anything. To, uh, I mean, to I just, the band. I just, yeah, I just ignored all this uh, previous continuity. I just ignored it. You know, that's that's. I mean, I guess that's what you have to do. Because remember, I, I wrote a lot of single issue stories. So why why would it be stuck? I mean, I you know, I made my pitch to them. Why yeah. would I be stuck in, in all this continuity? I just don't need to be. You know. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, you're a dad, from what mm-hmm. I understand. Yeah, I am too. You write. How do you maintain a level of creativity, you know, and also do the things that you have to do so that you are there for your family? Like, is there is there a work life balance solution that you've come up with that are things that you know that help? Well, you know, the work-life balance, that's a challenge, right? Like, I mean, yes, I think, you know, when, when you get to certain paces in life, you know, ask me what's the most important. Is it, is it you know, going to some red carpet event? Like, no, nah, I could care less. Is it, is it my family, my children, my wife? Yeah, sure, right? I mean, it, you know, it just becomes that, right? That, like, we realize this. This is what it becomes, is what we know. You know, we, we you know, we, so, so, I love my kids and I've been working on, you know, I've been working on a lot of stuff, you know, having them at home in COVID and all the difficult things that we have to deal with. And, you know, I've been, I've been teaching my nine-year-old how to really get his education and make it work for him. And now he's just gone back to school for his first day today. So he's super excited, but he's much more prepared to learn properly because the nine weeks at home during COVID were really helpful to him. And so, you know, I think that's a big focus and balancing it. Well, I don't balance it properly at times. I wish I did balance it a little bit better. You know, I, I need more, less work, but I, I wake up and I work and I go to bed having worked seven days a week. That's pretty much how I do it. You know, do you do you do it as if you were going into an office? Do you, you know, like as in wake up, start your day, like, you know, no. early in the morning and end it? No. No, I I wake up and I work and then I go in my office all the time and I'm working and trying to design things. I've got so much work to do. I mean, then I go to bed really quite late. I always do. I mean, I don't don't have a lot of time for myself. I go to bed pretty late and and I wake up for for school. But actually, I'm luckier now because I don't have to wake up for school. So I'm not the walking dead. (laughs) I was the walking dead before I was exhausted. You know, I love it. Yeah I, yeah, I took a week. So my wife is a teacher mm-hmm. and both my kids were keeping the, them at home for now, just because, you know, we, we 
don't want them to to get sick and give it to their grandma or something like that. It, it amazes me that people think a five-year-old can keep her mask on all day. Yeah, I've got a nine-year-old, and actually the way that they've done it at school, they've, they seem to have done it okay. It, it's not massively high risk. It's a higher risk than being at home. Yeah. But we were looking at his social and emotional development, and I think he was having a struggle with this emotional development, you know, the difficulty of of trying to to reconcile how he how he feels you know he doesn't didn't feel happy he was he was really learning very well with me but he wasn't getting that interaction so i think we kind of got him the platform that's that's what i've found and then the other thing is you know measuring out i mean you know when they go out in the playground they play together they don't have their masks on it sounds crazy but it's actually not as crazy because it's all you know how much time do they spend what's the environment outside the air dissipates so, you know, they've calculated it and they've we've got it and we, we weigh them up against each other and we, we decided to send him back to school. So we're very yeah. hopeful that it's good for him. And every person in the world is having to make this decision right now during COVID, you know. Yeah, we're we're super lucky in that like my wife's grandma is is a mile down the road. So we just you know, have have them there on the computer and I pick them up when I get home from work. But for a week, I, I took a week off to to help get them into the swing of things. And yeah. that also meant that I had to learn Common Core fifth grade math, <laughs> which was which was fun. I, I had a blast doing it, but they had been used to my, my mother-in-law, my wife's grandma, kind of taking the teacher role for a little while. And then it was a week with daddy. And they're like, oh, crap. Things have changed. Right, 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 <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah, yeah, we're not going to mess around here. We're going to do this so we can go home and then have fun the rest of the day. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But yeah, so can you tell me a little bit about Meta Studios? Yeah, Meta is my company. It's, it's, we're kind of a little bit of a force for good creatively. It's uh, media, education, technology, and advancement. So it's, it's, you know, we wrap ourselves around trying to be, uh, a positive force for creators while at the same time obviously we make media and we do different stuff and so you know we we are i i do all media so i make animation and comics and video games and, and film and um, you know tv and all those things so media's uh, you know meta's geared up for that and we've been in existence for a little while we're more of a new company um we're working on all kinds of projects right now i got i got some new technology projects that I'm working on, digital interactive projects. We've got a film project potentially coming around the corner, but not really because film production is is disappeared right now. Oh, so yeah. you know, yeah. it's it's such a weird time for everybody. You know? So that's kind of what we're at right now. You know, that's that's amazing. I, I see in your bio that you have a an MTV music video. <laughs> who yeah. did you who did you direct? Oh um, my god, it was a God, he's a guitarist for Rob Zombie's band, this guy called Riggs, and he had this band called Scum of the Earth. Okay. And <laughs> we did this music video for them and God, they were so painful to work with. It was just like no, oh, not, doing, really? not doing not doing that again. And like I say, a lot of my interactions with like rock musicians and stuff like that had just been like, nah, I don't, I don't think I'll do that twice. <laughs> oh, that sucks. That sucks yeah. so hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was talking to a, a tour manager for uh, a bunch of, he worked with a bunch of bands that were, I guess, industrial music during the 90s. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, they were the nicest guys ever. And then the one guy that I thought would be, like I don't know, like the dad from Leave It to Beaver or something, right? Was the biggest asshole, like yeah, 
yeah. terrible person. And they're like, yeah, if you have like, you know, keep them away from everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imagine that, right? Like the, oh, the guy, the guy, the, you know, the, 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 the celebrity who believes their own stuff, you know, I just, I don't know. I've been around all these types of people for years and it just, you know, it can wear you out. Right. It's just, you know, like, come on, man, don't believe your own hype. You know, you're not that interesting, <laughs> you know? but what can you do? I mean, it takes so many people to make the world go around and, and that's just kind of how things are. So as somebody who has to work with different people, yeah, what's a tool that you've used to deal with difficult personalities? Because that also seems like something that you've had to utilize. Right. So I don't mind actors who are difficult personalities. I really don't because actors are a unique breed and they have some things that they need to do. Right. They're in their emotions. Um, well, yeah, right. So, I mean, you know, they are completely vulnerable. They're put out front. So if they're difficult, as a director, you know, the way that I work with actors is a little bit like generally a empower them i, I really like uh, and most actors i work with are like you're very much an actor's director because i used to be an actor right and so i like to collaborate with them i like to kind of uh, join in with them and try to make things work together right so these things are these things kind of are what they are you know you you work with actors a certain way and you you build confidence with them generally there are certain ways you can ask you can have an actor do something that you need them to do for example make them think it was their idea in the first place it's horribly manipulative but hey it's part of the part of the job <laughs> now with with difficult creative people you know worked with difficult artists for example it's like grow up you know come on man grow up you know get get get, get us working together you know like like you know do the job that we are collaborating on and so you know i don't have as much patience for people that go off and sort of sabotage a project you know i I don't like that as much oh yeah yeah Yeah. so i I saw that you've you've done some teaching in in the field of of arts as well right that's one thing that you you were talking about people being immature in projects when it when it comes to artistic endeavors yeah that's one thing that i consistently hear from from artists and writers is like nobody ever taught us how to be business savvy. It was always, yeah. 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 So, and, so, and that's the, the hard knocks school that they go to and for, for their field is like, right. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they taught me how to, you know, draw upside down, but I don't know how to fucking balance a checkbook. Right. 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 No, that's true. Right. Like, you know, there are plenty of artists that, but I mean, I don't think it should always be like that. I don't, I really don't. I don't, I don't think it has to be that creative people have to be dumb about business. Right. It just, it almost seems like a cliche at times, you know, like, no, you know, let's, let's, let's kind of acknowledge that, you know, people, people should, should, work hard at the things they're not that great at so if you're a creator don't sit there and like sit around in a coffee shop with a beret on your head like saying i i'm so affected it's like no go learn how to live life too like you can't just be one thing shouldn't be divine you shouldn't be defined by your creativity that doesn't make any sense to me you know yeah yeah totally right so do you have any projects right now in in regards to comics that that you're working on 
Yeah, I just got announced that I just did a two-part story for DC Comics. I've got Fairy Quest, the new one. So Mike Bowden is now the artist on Fairy Quest. Uh, in the story, they go through the world and they begin to physically change as they get further away from their story. So right now, Mike is taking the transitional bit where they go through Wonderland and come out the other side and find all the all the other places, like you know the world of crime fiction and all of that as they go on their journey. Right. So uh, we've got Fairy Quest, we've got the the Arkham Knights project with DC, and uh, you know a bunch of stuff like that. So uh, a few things, but I'm also working on this digital interactive thing. We've got this this film project thing that we're trying to do. And I've also got a technology project that I'm working on that I can't really talk about. Just more because the way that it's the way that it's created is is has a lot to do with techn- secrecy, you know, like the way that we present it. So, uh, you know, there's nothing as really in about. stuff that's not out yet. That's not on the consumer market. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. So do you that when you're in a project like that? There's such a, already you have just having to learn how to use the technology to begin with. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you manage creating something for a technology that you're not even familiar with yet? Right. Well, you know, you have to speak to programmers, know how to talk to them, know what to do. You know, you have to do that it's difficult to say, you know, like you just have to understand what programming means and you have to ask the right questions and, and all those things. And, you know, that's what I do. I, I do my best to, to understand the medium and understand the technologies. I, I'm not supposed to be a programmer, but I am supposed to understand programming. If you see what I mean. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that takes a, a special type of person to be able to do that. So, it seems like you got a full plate right now. I'm so happy that you you came by and talked to us, man. Anytime we t- do a talk with somebody, I want to ask if you have any local comic shops or bookstores that you appreciate that you want to give a shout out to and what you think is cool about them. Yeah, you know, we had Kapow Comics where I live nearby and in North, but they closed, you know. I mean, it's just a tough one That's right nice. now, isn't it? You know? Yeah. And we got Oxford Comics downtown, and they're still going, I think. You know, so they're they're great down in Atlanta. But you know, we lost Kapow; they're gone. So, bit of a shame. It's a bummer. Yeah, that is. Our I think we have one or two still active, but my favorite one shut down a few uh, like two years ago, and it's it's rough, man, because that that's such a a big community that you're missing out on. It seems like right. So right, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Paul, thank you so much for coming on, man. I don't want to keep you too much later because you got family and you got a ton of other crap to do. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, thanks for having me. Thank you. And have a good evening. And I will post links to your projects and give you a shout out when we, when we post this on the, on the site. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Take it easy, brother. See you. No more soccer, man. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. back man that was great fairy quest sounds amazing it looks great uh, i looked at all the all the stuff online for it in the preview it looks awesome and there's some incredible talent on there humberto ramos doing the artwork paul jenkins doing the writing i mean it's you can't you can't lose man so thanks paul for coming on now if you enjoyed that and i know you did because you're still here 
you should go to spoilerverse.com and check out all of our back issues and go to your podcast or on your phone and, and download them all as well and check out all of our other shows that we have like Bridging the Geekdoms for new stuff Music Print Radio for music uh, Nerd from Looking for Horror Stuff Haphazard Adventures if you want to hear my wife and I talk about beer all month because we're doing a daily beer episode by two people who don't know anything about beer so it's a lot of fun and while you're on the website check out all of our articles and reviews and previews and all that fun stuff there leave some comments go to the store uh, buy a hoodie buy a face mask buy a t-shirt look fly as hell help support the site uh, also go to scpod.us slash discord join our public discord server because we'd love to have you come chat with us we're going to do some giveaways and it's going to be fun so go join that right away and then lastly as we always do in Oceans of Podcast we are Cthulhu and as Cthulhu can watch to do open the mind and read more